Welcome to Empowered Thinking at Play. I'm Kim Nelson, writer, meditation teacher, confidence coach, and someone with a very curious mind. I'm here talking to guests and exploring what makes them feel empowered, how they've created a stronger mindset, and their interpretation of what empowerment really is. My guest today is Lisa Lindstrom. She is the founder and CEO of design agency Doberman. Lisa is also one of Sweden's strongest voices on business innovation and leadership. I felt very inspired after speaking with Lisa. And certainly I do love her motto, dare to reveal who you are. I'm always intrigued to find out what people have learned about themselves following this pandemic. And Lisa said that she's learned to be more transparent with her feelings, especially online, which is very daring, I have to say. She's also having more real conversations at work, which has led to her revealing more emotion and challenging herself to be more vulnerable. She also talks about the well-being approach at Doberman, which reminds employees to play, laugh and meet people in real life. I think we could all do with reminders like that. This new approach has resulted in more innovation and more creativity. Plus, Lisa talks about failure and one of her biggest life lessons, which has been instrumental in her role as a leader. It's a great story about failure. Enjoy. Hello there. Hi. 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 How are you on this Monday morning? I'm very good, thank you. Good. Very good. Yes, how are you? I'm all right, but it's it's been raining constantly in Belgium. Lots oh. of rain. it's a bit sort of depressing in a way. I can cope with all weathers, but rain is a bit much. I'm on my bicycle a lot, you see, so I don't like rain in my face when I'm cycling. <laughs> so totally understand. Yeah, we had that, but this morning it's kind of you know, w- w- you know, when the air is high that you can mm. have in, in, in kind of autumn. So, yeah, it's really nice, actually. Oh, that's nice. I wanted to know what life is like in Sweden because I think it's very different from the rest of Europe in terms of, I don't think you're wearing masks, are you, in Sweden? We are not wearing masks. And we have had, uh, during this whole pandemic, uh, we have had, I think, a more trustful approach where our has been giving recommendations instead of rules. But I think when the world look at it and and, and think about that, why don't you have more rules? It's because Swedes follow recommendations. So we have been, you know, very, very careful. Uh, And even if the schools have been open, I think that everyone who's been working, we have been, you know, extremely careful Everyone is working from home. Almost everyone is working from home. Uh, we are trying to not use buses and subways so that, you know, healthy people can do it. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's been, it's been a special period, uh, but I think it's been more open and trustful maybe compared to other countries. I like that. I like the fact following recommendations because the rules... I mean, in Belgium, where I am, is very, very strict. Um, I've heard yes. both. I've heard both. 
Yes, and also uh, because when I spoke to you before, you were going between um, Sweden and New York. So I guess there's no going to New York at the moment. No. Um, how no. is uh, New York? Um, uh, what's what's it like working with New York now? What what is um, happening there in the office? So that is more challenging because New York we had to close down very early on. Uh, the office is still closed. And it's been more dramatic. And I think people has been much more affected uh, personally. And, uh, you know, because the schools were closed, your kids have to be at home. So a much more challenging uh, working environment. And as a leader, you could just imagine how difficult it is to, to try to, you know, orchestrate something over a screen uh, when it's so different, these two cities, New York and Stockholm, yes. but also when you cannot, you cannot come there, you cannot like show physically that you care. Mm. So kind of how do you, how do you show it physically that you really care? Not only with words and actions, but you know, these, these things that happen in, in between. Right. God, that's very challenging for you then to operate with with different circumstances at completely. And does that affect um, the well-being that you're implementing? Uh, I definitely think so. Yes. Uh, I definitely think that um, people are used to one way of working. And, 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 and one of the more interesting learnings is that Actually, um, some people have had a better well-being in, in working like this. So it's not that we could just say it's, it's worse for everyone. But for some people, this way of working has, of course, been very challenging, especially if you then also personally has been affected or if you have a relative that is, a, you know, maybe lost their work or... Uh, is uh, affected by corona or whatever it is. So I think well-being in this very, very special time has been something that we've been thinking about a lot. And we did a, a, a mini, mini project internally. So everyone at Doberman is on Slack. And uh, one day uh, the, there was something starting to happen on Slack. So you received tiny messages like, remember to go out for a walk or don't forget to to also eat lunch and and take a break from your screen hmm. so I like that so it's reminding people to take a breathing break to go out for a walk to have lunch exactly yeah. and what, what 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 they had created was something that they call uh, how to not go mental <laughs> Uh, so, so you receive randomly these reminders of things that both people have said, you know, for example, remember to have a beautiful backdrop when you have a Teams call or don't forget to play or, you know, make sure that some people you can meet for real and do a walk and talk. So you get all these small reminders that are popping up in a random kind of way. And, and I think it's beautiful that there was a team internally that created this for their colleagues in, in, in the essence of, you know, how to not go mental uh, in this challenging time. So, so 
it's also something you know what happens when you come into some sort of crisis or or at least extreme challenge is that it also sparks creativity it sparks innovation and if you as a leader say yes you will see more of that so so that was one surprise that for me was beautiful i love that that's great yeah, I've not heard of anyone doing that. And I know that a lot of people are working from home. They're not taking breaks. Yes. So this is this is no. innovative. It's um it's a great idea. So one one card I'm reading here. Uh make sure you make give a lot of time for relationships or uh you know, give feedback in Figma, which is another tool. Like all these minor small things. Uh, and they are also illustrated uh, with GIFs, so they are also pretty funny. So I think that's really something that is is almost like spreading love to your colleagues by providing tips and tricks that is coming in the channel. It's almost like it's coming in your email, but Slack is a different tool. Great. So a great tool. Yeah. Wow. So people are laughing as well. That's that's a good medicine to help people um, yes. get on with their well-being. Uh, and how has this pandemic changed you personally? So um, I'm a person with a lot of confidence, to be honest. And uh, this spring, I started to lose my confidence. And I started to reflect, why is that? Why am I feeling less competent suddenly? And I realized that uh, for me personally, to meet people physically is also uh, a confirmation, you know, their body language, their acting, the way that we, you know, uh, co-create things in a room is for me some sort of confirmation that I'm on my way to do something right. So for me personally, it was a little bit of, you know, self-acknowledgement and, and embracing the fact that I've practiced a, a way of doing innovation by making people brave in rooms where we are together. And now I have to relearn what that is to bring back my confidence. So that for me, that is a tiny learning, but for me, an important one in life. My second learning is that I've practiced presence a lot. So because this was something that we couldn't calculate and we couldn't plan for and working in a really, really different and, and, and kind of also embracing all these new ways of working, the only thing that I can do as a leader is to make sure that I stay present, that I'm curious about what's going on, that I could kind of illuminate the things that I think we're doing in a good way and try to remove barriers of the things that I don't like but also make myself available for people. So I cannot uh, just book all my meetings back to back. I need to make myself available. And, and an example of that was that I started this spring to do something, a morning call that I call Hi Doberman. It's 30 minutes with zero agenda. You just call in and you talk about what it is that you need to talk about. And a lot of people just call in and listen to me and one of the colleagues having a conversation about something, just to, to hear the voice, just to hear me as a leader. You know, I'm here, I'm having this conversation. 
So it was almost like a podcast, (laughs) similar to what you do, uh, where people could hear a a conversation because they couldn't see me. They they didn't know where I was. Uh, They didn't know where their colleagues were. They did not know what the colleagues had on their minds. So we started to have this, uh, just, you know, 30 minutes, no agenda. Hello, Doberman. That's nice. Yeah. And my third thing that I've learned that I, I, how it's changed me is that I've been much more transparent with my feelings. So on screen or over calls, I have, because I think I've lost my body language in, in this kind of remote kind of working, I've been over transparent with my feelings. I've been crying more. I've been, you know, showing myself angry more. I've been laughing louder. So, and I don't know why, but I think I'm compensating something, right? Yes. <laughs> I think it's something around building. It's, it's, you imagine this thing, like how do you build a new relationship with someone over screen? Well, for me, apparently it's mm. been, you know, by showing more of me, <laughs> and who I am, which is vulnerable yes. as such. Like, it's really scary to, to be angry with someone that you don't know. But, but apparently that's kind of how my system has compensating for the fact that I cannot read exactly what you feel. <laughs> I cannot mm. feel what you feel. That's really interesting. I was going to ask you if you were showing vulnerability and especially being a leader, how is that going down? Are you doing it with uh, the New York office as well? Yes, 100%. Ah, okay. And and I've had this challenge with myself of, 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 of showing vulnerability. Sometimes have you, if you show too much, it could be experienced as you resign as a leader. Right. Mm. So how much vulnerability could you could you show without losing the fact that you are still the leader? And I'm a person who could show a lot of vulnerability. And I think that my learning is that in in Scandinavia, I can show more because we are less hierarchical. And in the US, I, I think that I actually need to show less vulnerability uh because otherwise i'm scared that people would almost feel like oh she's resigning she's losing it uh so so and then they get scared and and kind of lose their faith uh that i'm still the leader so it's it's a learning journey and a, and a balancing act to to see kind of how much can i show of myself and still keep you know people's trust that I, you know, I'm here, <laughs> I'm, you know, you, I'm backing you up. It's just that I'm also showing you my sadness or my fear or my human sides. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you have to think about the level of emotion you're going to reveal online. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And are other people following suit? Are they acknowledging that you're doing that and doing the same? Yes, I think that they are. Um, I, I, I feel empathy back. <laughs> so uh, I've seen more 
vulnerable actions with my colleagues, clients, uh, partnerships that I've seen before. I've heard more realness. It's like we have stopped doing the cheek kissing and we have started what is real much, much faster into all our conversations, not just internally, but also externally. So for me, even how, you know, I think it's really, really sad and scary that we have, you know, this virus that is affecting so many people's lives in so many ways. I think that is really, really bad. But what I think is good is that we start to have more real conversations earlier. And and for me as a as a person, that is so much more interesting mm. and so much more engaging. And I believe that uh, if we're going to succeed to really uh, be more relevant and, and, and innovative and creative, that realness is, is so desperately needed. So, so in one way, I've had a more real and, 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 and kind of a, a, a last five months that I believe more in the conversations that we've had, mm. if you see what I mean. Yeah. So it's this, I, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, let's not, we don't want to have a pandemic forever, but how could we keep that realness? Let's continue to check in and talk about how you really are. And not just like the, the standard, how are you? And people say, fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, you don't get anywhere with that. But I've not had any of that cheek kissing. How are you? For the last six, five months, we've had realness, realness, realness. And I want to stay there. That's great. And, and hope that, you know, society is going to nurture that realness. Mm. And do you think that could translate to other countries? What? Hundred percent. I've been. This is not just a Scandinavian thing. Uh, I've had that realness with with people from so many uh, parts of the world because we have one thing in common: everyone can talk about COVID. So this realness, when you have one common threat, it's easier to then get to there because you could start. Like you started this conversation, you said, "I wonder how it is in Sweden." And I can ask you, I wonder how it is in Belgium and how it is for you as a person in Belgium. And, and I'm allowed to ask that question mm-hmm. because we all we have a, a joint threat. Yes. So do you feel like uh, a lot of layers have come off you in terms of? Yes. yes. OK. Yes. Yes. And, and, and I've been reflecting over the summer. How can how can I stay without these layers how can i make sure that at least i um continue to have these real conversations to talk with people in a more authentic way and do i dare (laughs) to continue to show my vulnerability moving forward That's interesting. And do you actually feel more empowered now that you can be vulnerable and more authentic? Uh, the honest answer, I don't know. Yet. Okay. <laughs> um, because I think I've not seen yet what it will lead to. Mm. So I, I, you know, it's something, if I say it like this, it's something that I believe in, 
And I, my belief is that it will empower. But my honest answer is I'd like to see more evidence what this leads to. Yeah. Okay. And then do you see these changes also outside work? Are you also being the same or maybe a bit different? I think it's... uh... I'm, I'm, I'm the same person walking in or out of work. So I don't have a, a work Lisa uh, and a, a private Lisa, basically. So for me, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same vulnerability. It's the same transparency. It's the same uh, honest conversations with your kids, your family, your friends, everything. So... For me, it's the same. Hey, um, and I also wanted to talk to you about your early career because I remember when I spoke to you before, you told me about when you um, first acknowledged being treated differently because you're a woman. Yeah. Um, and I'd <laughs> like you to to uh, retell that story because I think our listeners would um, really like to hear it. Okay, so uh, I'm brought up with a mother who did a fantastic job of uh, raising me as a person. So I always uh, felt when I grew up that, uh, hi, I'm Lisa, and I'm this person. I never thought about my gender, to be honest. And uh, I, I walked you know, through school and uh, kind of came to my first ever experience of, of really feeling that I was of a a gender. And that was when I was appointed the CEO of Doberman. And at that time, uh, Doberman had a board of, I was 27, and Doberman had a board of uh, five 40-year-old men uh, who were kind of, you know, they come from the same system and schools and everything. And I walked into that boardroom uh, and I was, you know, I was projected with five men, you know, with all of their body language, uh, showing me that not only was I a woman, but I was also young. And I remember that exact feeling that, whoa, I am a 27-year-old woman walking into this boardroom. I did not feel I'm this slightly nervous CEO who was just appointed by the exact same men. I did not feel that. (laughs) I did not feel, you know, whoa, I'm going to tell them the journey. I felt they are only seeing a woman walking in here. And that made me uh, convinced that I'm going to show them so much competence, so much creativity, so much strength. Uh, to prove them wrong yeah (laughs) you know this was with no words right Mm. so this was just you know our minds and bodies talking to each other an extremely interesting feeling actually so that was my first time in life where I felt oh I'm a woman and apparently that is affecting this room a lot interesting yeah and has has that feeling come up again in, in any um, situations? Mm, not really. No, not anymore. Uh, I've, no, no, I've used it more as a, as a benefit. So, you know, I come from an industry of digitalization and innovation and, uh, you know, 
an industry that has been pretty dominated by male. So I've used it to say, you know, um, for example, if you meet a client, really good to be a woman because most probably the other people who've been in that room has been men. So just, you know, I've used it as a benefit or I've used it as a benefit to uh, make sure that we could be thought leaders so that, you know, I can be on stages and talk about things uh, just because the simple fact that they don't have a female on the panel or on the stage. Uh, so, so you know, I've, I've, I've rather, you know, just... Uh, use the fact that apparently people have uh, less experience of an equal society and let's use that. <laughs> mm. And what would you give to women who also find it challenging to be heard? Mm. So one of my best advice for women who feels challenging to be heard is to gather a couple of people and form a pact or a you know a unit where you could have them as your secret backers to say if i go out and if i dare to raise my voice will you back me up if that is going to be experienced in a way that I don't like. So you feel that when you go into a room or a stage or somewhere, you are borrowing some confidence from your backers. So that's advice mm. number one. Advice number two is um, prototype more. Uh, I think that a lot of women are in their heads thinking so much about how will this be experienced or, you know, are, are doing a lot of, of the clever stuff in their head instead of, you know, testing. What happens if I say this? If I just say it, what happens? Uh, so that's kind of, just, just do it, try. Um, and my third advice would be uh, to ask people that give me some room, give me a stage, not everyone will appoint you. Uh, so to my, you know, to the conversation that we just had that I've been using the fact that I'm a woman, I've asked if I can be on the stage so many times. And I'm not embarrassed about the fact that I am, you know, selling myself getting there. Because how else can I make sure that my daughter will get the question? Yeah. And then the fourth one would be... Um, to maybe be less uh, worried about the exact messaging, the, you know, the content part of it, and trust that you will be interesting to listen to also because who you are as a person, also because of the way that you will present your message, so don't spend all your time figuring out this most clever content messaging, uh, opinion, whatever it is. But also remember that it's interesting for people to meet real people. And it doesn't have to be super articulated, right? Mm. Uh, so if you dare to reveal a little bit more of who you are by your tone of voice or how you, you know, your appearance or 
in what way you start to lead into that conversation or to that messaging, that in itself, I think, is going to make people listen to you. Dare to reveal who you are. I like that. That's that's a good motto. I'm going to take that with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will do. do. I think do. it's something that all women should do. Reveal who you dare to be who you are. Yeah. Um, I wondered also yeah. in your career um, how you handled rejection. Was there a time that it defined you or... Um, it made you more of a like have a fighting spirit was there an incident in in the work it made me that it's always made me have a fighting spirit almost always and the few times when i when it really have gotten to me and and I think I've been handling it in kind of three kind of ways so so number one is is definitely you know I'm going to show you like yeah. <laughs> revenge, <laughs> that kind of fighting. I, I think that is like my, my first go-to place uh, when I've been rejected. I think the second one is uh, that I've been, you know, soaking it in and really try to analyze for myself, why did this happen? And, and you know, it's been circling around with me. So that is uh, not the best number two, but that is my number two. And my number three is, I think that sometimes I, I've been cu- so curious that I've you know, gone back and said, can you just share with me why I was rejected? And that in itself has been you know, a comforting way of understanding uh, the, re- the rejection part of it. And sometimes it's just been like, oh, I, I kind of agree. Yeah, this was not right. Like, for for example, I was in a pitch this summer and I, in that meeting, felt we are not the right partner for this company. And I actually, you know, think we should be rejected. <laughs> so maybe that's my first, but, but, but my, like, honest number one is I'm going to show yeah. you. Like Let, you know, give me another chance or hello world. I'm going to show you that. You know, there is an alternative way, and and that way is is something that I want to show you guys. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> life lesson. And I always want to talk to you about failure because you're such a successful businesswoman. I guess you don't, or do you? I learn, and I I have learned a lot, and I don't like the expression "fail fast." Because I don't think that people likes to fail. Mm. I think, though, that I've done millions of mistakes. Millions. And what I've tried to do is learn from them. So I don't, I don't, and I think this is an entrepreneurial way of thinking. So if I try something and it doesn't work, I make sure that I learn something from it and then I try again. And my picture of myself is not that I'm this successful businesswoman at all. I see myself as a prototyper, a person who's saying lots of things. And together with other people, we learn. And then we go to the next stage and then we learn new things. So, so I see myself as, a, you know, almost as someone working in a laboratory 
wanting to explore different things and wanting to learn and, and look at these things that happens as uh, in itself, they are mini innovations uh, that are good to move the world forward. Mm. Uh, so, so failure for me is, you know, when you, when you stop learn and just see it as a big mistake, almost like a big black hole of, of wrongness, so to speak, which is such a destructive way uh, and uh, I, can, I can tell you one more thing that was a really life lesson for me that I think that I've been bearing with me as a leader ever since. So I did my internship in New York. Uh, so I was very young and I went to this uh, agency and I really, really want to take on a big project. And, you know, my, they, they told me that I could surf the intranet and, and basically, you know, make coffee. And I went to the CEO and I said, you know, I'm not here to do that. I'm here because I want to learn and lead projects. And he gave me a project that was the largest at the firm at the time. Super brave person, this guy. And then he said, Lisa Lindstrom, I'm going to give you something. Uh, I want you to go in and try your very best. And you have five major fuck-ups to do. And that made me so brave. That made me, you know, so brave to go out there and try my best. And when I made one of these fuck-ups, yeah. I also dared to go to him and tell him I made it. Which otherwise, you know, I should have covered it or, you know, not revealing that I made this mistake. Uh, so, you know, I have this thinking of every person that I meet that I have, you know, you have five major fuck-ups to do or <laughs> learnings to do, right? Yes. Which, which is, you know, such great leadership uh, advice. And then at one point, I, did, I really, really did a, a, a big learning. Let's put it like that. And I went to him and I said, okay, I just, I just you know, took one of these fuck-ups. And, and I told him about it and it was a major one. And he said, great, now you have two more. So, so it's this thing that people who have experiencing or experiences of new mistakes, not the same mistakes that everyone's done before you, but new mistakes that you really tried something new and you learned something big. Those people is the people that you want to hire because they have great experience that they could build from. Mm. Oh, I like that. Uh, this was a long, long, long answer around failure. But I've been thinking about this a lot because the, the, your enemy of an innovation is, is this exact thing. If you, if, you, if you think that innovation is something that, that you know, someone has not done before, then no one knows. And you need to be willing to take risks. And then we cannot walk around and be scared of, of failing. We need to walk around and be positive and open to learning. And from that, try new things and learn from that. And that will eventually lead to an innovation. Definitely. Permission to fail. So how many times did you fail then? How many with that? With that was it five? Did you do? <laughs> uh, I think it was. I think I reached four. Fuck up. Okay. Uh, so I have one, one, one left in New York. <laughs> Oh, what a great uh, teacher for you. 
Yes, fantastic. Fantastic. Mm. Are you still in touch or? Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I met him, I think, three years ago. Uh, and I told him this story. I said, do you know that you give me one of my life's best lessons? And he actually had no idea <laughs> that he told me this. Uh, but I, I, I really had to, you know, uh, confirm to him how important it was that he said that to me. You have five major fuck-ups to do. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to pass that on. It's a great one. <laughs> yes, please. Yes. <laughs> Pay it forward. Yeah, I'm learning a lot today. Um, I also remember the last time I spoke to you, you were saying that um, when it comes to books, you read something that's completely different to uh, your background uh, because you want to learn something new and that helps to work a different part of your brain. Yeah. And I wondered what books you're reading or would right recommend. Now. Yeah, like that as working a different part of your brain that you would recommend. Mm. Actually, right now, I've not read anything recently. Uh, so I'm going to respond in a different way. Uh, right now, I am exercising my brain from uh, art. And I think the reason why is that at the end of the day, books are still books. And uh, I, I, I tended to, because so what you hear is I reflect a lot, like what will lead to more value? What will lead to more new thinking? And I found myself, and I'm not proud of this. I think it's beautiful to read books. So I'm just, you know, very honest saying uh, books were not giving me uh, enough energy into new thinking so right now I look more into art and make sure that you know I am more connected to artistry in life because that is affecting me more and music and so it's more stronger I think it's more stronger emotional um engagements that I'm practicing at the moment and I don't think that I've read one book over the last six months okay but that makes sense actually and that and isn't and isn't this also interesting that it's almost embarrassing to tell you this and and know that other people will hear this but this is my honest response that uh unfortunately you know I I didn't find that to spark my creativity enough but I so. <laughs> also think it's to do with the, the changes that are going on with you where you're recognizing your emotions and you're being more emotional because art does bring out emotions. Yes. So I think that's where yes. you're heading and that makes perfect sense to me. Okay, so what's your definition of empowerment? Great question. To help a person mirror that person's unknown capabilities so that that individual becomes aware of all the uniqueness and strength and possibilities that that person have to take onto the world. Mm, nice. <laughs> I, really like, I really like this question because everyone comes up with completely different answers. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. All right, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions and just say what's on the top of your head. 
Okay, so here goes. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? Drawing. Hmm. Would you rather be unable to use search engines or unable to use social media? Unable to use social media. Which famous person would you like to meet? Frida Kahlo. What would be the title of your autobiography? How to make people brave. Love that. Okay. When was the last time you felt you had a new lease on life? Oh, I think it was three weeks ago. And we were taking bikes uh, with dopamine around the city in a COVID-friendly team building day. And the first thing that happened was that we came to an old church and we were lying down on yoga mats and a fantastic person played piano for us. And it opened up new senses. It opened up kind of new spectras in my body and in my soul to see the world. Oh, that sounds lovely. I want it was that. fantastic, yeah. <laughs> okay, last one. We're all in the process of becoming. What do you feel you are becoming? I'm becoming more accountable for my own choices and to make sure that my kids have a planet to live at. Mm. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Great. That's all my questions. But actually, as a as a side note, yeah. why would you like to meet Frida Kahlo? So Frida Kahlo, for me, is extraordinary in the way that she was using her vulnerability and exposed it and, and you know, made fantastic art and, and was, you know, she was a magnet for interesting people across all different industries and all different spectras of, of, uh, of the world. And I think that a seat at her table with, you know, politicians and activists and artists and, uh, you know, thinkers, I think that you would learn so much from that kind of multidisciplinary way of, of uh, you know, bringing lots of, of interesting folks to the table so that's why yeah definitely I'm a big fan of hers as well and so is my daughter um, oh, cool. for the sheer fact that she was just being herself and she exactly. didn't care no. what everyone else thought yeah okay I've got one last question um your words that you live by or maybe a quote you like or something you say a lot to people that maybe might inspire them yeah um, one thing that I live by is a sentence that goes like this, change happens when you say it out loud. Mm. So people cannot know what you want for the world or, you know, your inner dreams or your ambitions if you don't say it out loud. But as soon as you said it out loud, People could start to follow you, help you, make it happen. So change happens when you say it out loud. Definitely. My second 
second sentence is from my friend Anna Rayet, who says, partnership is the new leadership. Hmm. Partnership is the new leadership. So if we really believe that uh, there needs to be a systems change, and I believe that, for our planet and, and for to, to both, you know, make sure that we save our planet and eradicate, you know, poverty. We don't have time to work in linear manners. We don't have time to only work within our own organization. We need to hook up into ecosystems and work in a networked way. We need to be interconnected and utilize all that capacity that sits within different organizations and within different individuals. So that's why I believe that partnership is the new leadership. Mm, I like that. That's a good takeaway. Thank you very much, Lisa. It's been Thank you so much. Absolutely beautiful speaking <laughs> with you. And um, you've you. given our listeners some good takeaways for sure. Good. Pay it forward, listeners. Yes. <laughs> And just to add, you can find out more about Lisa at Doberman. The website is doberman.co. And if you're interested in any online courses on empowerment, then check out my website, which is Mindful Thinking at Play. Until next time.